from Kurtco Media. This episode of Travel That Matters is brought to you by Accor, a world-leading hospitality group. Coming up on the show. When we talk about food, we talk about food, and it's like my husband is telling me, you are not saving life, you know, every day, right? You are just <laughs> cooking, so just realize if today the, the croissant was not at the level that you wanted the croissant, it's fine. No one is going to die, you know? That's Chef Anne-Cécile Dejeune. I'm Bruce Wallen, and this is Travel That Matters. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Travel That Matters Master Chef Series, where we are talking to some of the world's top chefs about their favorite places to travel. First, for those of you who are new to Travel That Matters, I'm Bruce Wallen. I'm a longtime magazine editor and travel journalist. And on this show, we explore the world's most exceptional and meaningful travel experiences with some of the fascinating people that I've been lucky enough to meet through my work and my travels. My guest today has had many amazing travel experiences of her own, both as a leading French chef who's, you know, worked all over the world, but also as an intrepid independent traveler who's done things like trek through Mongolia for two months. Her name is Anne-Cécile Dejean, and she's the newly appointed corporate executive chef for all of the Sofitel, Sofitel Legend, M Gallery, and Emblems Hotels all over the world. Anne-Cécile just moved back to France for her new role after more than 20 years of leading restaurants all over the place in, in the Caribbean, the U.S., and for, for much of that time throughout Asia, where she was the opening head chef for the Sofitel Ambassador Hotel in Seoul, the M Gallery Hotel des Arts in Saigon, and other great properties in Singapore and elsewhere. I seriously love speaking with Anne-Cécile, partly because, you know, she's had such fascinating adventures and, and jobs, but also because it was just so clear that she loves what she does. She is incredibly passionate, not just, you know, about creating great restaurants, but also about exploring the intricacies of whatever local cuisine it is, wherever she is in the world, finding all the best local ingredients and doing it all in a sustainable way. She had some very interesting points on that subject that I'd actually never thought of before. She also had some great insights on different kitchen cultures around the globe and how she kind of goes about seeking out the very best examples of local dishes wherever she is. On that note, we'll hear about the craziest thing she ever ate in Korea and why she waited until the very end of her two years there to try it. Plus, she will tell us about her time as a contestant on Top Chef France and what it's like returning to her home country when she concedes that she doesn't really feel entirely French anymore. We'll also dive into a few of the exciting projects that Sofitel and M Gallery have coming up in places like Benin and Kenya and beyond. We'll talk about Bali, Japan, Panama. Bottom line, after hearing from Anne-Cécile, you are definitely going to start Googling destinations and planning that next trip. While you're at it, be sure to follow Travel That Matters wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss any of our upcoming MasterChef episodes. But for now, let's get to it with the jet-setting French chef, Anne-Cécile Dejean. Anne-Cécile, 
Thank you so much for joining us on Travel That Matters today. It is great to have you. Thank you, Bruce. It is very great for me as well to participate, actually. First, I want to, I, I understand you were a contestant on Top Chef France. Tell us a little bit about how, like, how did that experience come about? And then also, like, you know, it's France, fairly famous for its, its chefs. That's got to be a pretty intense competition. Actually, it was, a, it, was a, it was a few years back already. It was about, I think, in 2014, something like that. I was already living in Asia, actually, so I was not watching Top Chef at that time. I didn't really know what was Top Chef. When, when they reached me out and when I get through the, the, the selection and everything, so I start watching the episode and understand a bit more about how is it actually <laughs> in France. I was a bit uh, stressed, to be honest, to join the competition. I'm sure, because yeah. I, I didn't watch the show, and when I start uh, watching the show, I already enrolled to the competition. It was like two weeks before joining the show, so I better check a little bit how it looks like. But actually, it was a great fantastic experience, like a one-time life experience for a chef. It was food, food, cooking, meeting chef, go to a restaurant, take the train, go to another place, cook somewhere here. We meet a chef that I will never get the chance to cook for, like a three Michelin star chef around the world. We had dinner in his place, so we had to test the, the full uh, tasting menu with him. It was fantastic. And then we get the chance to cook in his kitchen on the following day. So they wake you up like at 4 a.m. in the morning to make sure that you didn't sleep so well, you know, and you get a little bit more stress for the day. Wow, it was such an experience. I'm sure it's such an inspiration, too, as a chef to work, you know, alongside all these other yes. great chefs and, and cook for some of these people like you talk about. We, we actually had Gregory Gourdet, who's a, a two-time finalist on, on Top Chef here in the U.S., and he said the experience both times just inspired him to go out and explore the world, which is, of course, what the show is all about. But like, did that? Did it have that effect on you too? Did it kind of make you want to go out and learn different styles of cuisines and and everything like that? I was already working overseas, right? So I was already exposed to new type of cuisine, and that's why I think I was. I guess I was also part of the show because I had this a little twist already, not being French hundred percent anymore. But when I joined the show, I really I realized the diversity of the food from all over the world, not only from Asia, and, and even more, I discovered even more French cuisine as well, you know, that I didn't really knew, I never experienced. So, okay, you brought up Asia and working, you know, you've worked in, in a few countries there, you've worked in the Caribbean, you've worked in the US, like, and you brought that to your experience at Top Chef, but how, how does that now kind of shape you as a, a chef? Like you said, you're kind of, you're not 100% French anymore because you have had so many experiences elsewhere. Yes. The first time when you moved, so Caribbean was okay. It was not a big change, a big change actually. It was kind of a similar mode of, uh, of functioning over there for a chef. Just the... the you were in St. Saint Yeah, in Saint-Barth. In Saint-Barth. So it's a French, French island, right? So the way that you're working over there, you're still really much a French chef, definitely. The only thing you have to adapt is that's a very seasonal and very high season uh, business over there. So you really have to adapt to the two high season and low season. So that was not a big, big change. U.S. start to be a big change, actually, on the way you address to people, the way that you're acting, the way that people address to you and the way they're acting as well. So you're not anymore in your, your kingdom, you know? You're outside <laughs> of your comfortable zone, right? Now, where were you in the U.S.? In New York. So I was, most of the guys, the kitchen was from, from, from Mexico. So when I arrived there, I was going there to speak English, actually, to learn English. And I learned more Spanish and English at the end. <laughs> But I guess the, the very big step who really changed me is moving to Asia. Because Asia was very, very, very different world. The cultural gap that we have between the, the, the two, the two sides of the world, 
the way that you manage people, I think that was the first thing. And I was very French. When I moved there, I was still very, very French on the way that I was cooking and managing the team. But I realized very quickly in the first six months that is not going to fly at all. It's not going to fly at all because the team is not responding. The team is leaving one by one. But after a while, I just realized, hey, well, you know, it's make me really rethink everything. That look at myself first, why everyone is leaving one step by step, you know, one by one they are leaving the, the, the company and leaving me, actually, because I knew it was coming from my, uh, my perception of management. So it helped me to, to realize, actually, that there is a different way to manage people, to lead people, and not manage people, actually, to lead them. And that also realizing that not everyone, you know, in France, we are very much passionate about food. When we talk about food, we talk about food. And it's, it's like, like my husband is telling me, is that you are not saving life, you know, every day, right? You are just <laughs> cooking. So just realize if, if today the, the, the croissant was not at the level that you wanted the croissant, it's fine. No one is going to die, you know. But we take it so much personally, so much deep inside that we think that we are saving life every day. Uh, that's fascinating. Actually, and, and I mean, I do think that the French passion for for food both as a consumer and and for cooking in the industry has kind of spread throughout the world recently and I do think you find that throughout the world more is that people are incredibly passionate about the industry and about traveling for a certain dish or or whatever it is but the way you kind of learn that lesson culturally how how do you also when you're going into a new country Vietnam let's say or or Korea I know you work in Korea and Vietnam how do you learn about the food culture, not just about the working culture and how to communicate with people, but also about like, how do you go in there and dig in and, and discover what's important about that, that food culture? The most important for me when I, when I go to a new country is to try to understand, try to understand the people and try to understand the culinary scene over there and the culinary culture where it's coming from. So what I like to do first is usually ask the guys, okay, what's the, the signature dish of the country? You know, the best, the top five. But I want to understand the real test, the authentic one. So I ask them, okay, no matter how long it's going to take, no matter how many kilometers we have to go, but we're going to taste the authentic one, the 100%, the best one. So uh, when we go to Vietnam, the first thing I test, obviously, was the pho. So I arrived by myself on the night, and the first thing I said, okay, we have to go for a pho with my husband first. So we've been just walk. You go any corner in, in, in Vietnam, you, you will find a fur somewhere. So we go in the street. Oh, first stop, we stop there and we had a fur. Ah, oh, fantastic! You know the taste is very different than whatever we test before. Oh, we never had something like that. Okay, the following morning, I asked my team. I, asked, I met the guys and I said, okay, let, for lunch, please bring me to the fur. I want to see a very nice fur place, the best one. No matter how long it takes, let's go there. And then bring me there and we pass by the place where I've been the night before. So I told him, I said, oh, what about this one? He said, oh, no, this one is very bad, you know. It's all made of, out of powder. It's nothing to do. I said, oh. <laughs> so I didn't say anything. <laughs> I didn't mention that I was there the night before. And they bring me to this place. And then they bring me to a few different places to understand. Because from the north as well to the south, there is a different taste as well. So you have different, different types of cuisine. And then from the dish, when you understand a bit more the dish, I mean the taste of the dish, not yet understanding how you make it, but just the taste of it and you get the original one, then it's time to go more on the market. Then I like to go with them on the market and, and explain me, show me how do they prepare, I mean, how do they prepare, which ingredients they're going to use to make the food, what is the authentic one. So you have to find this black cardamom, which is very unusual for us in Europe. We never use that. So understand more about the ingredients. 
And then we go back. So this, this takes a lot, uh, quite of time because it's not only one dish, it's few dishes and it's going back because I'm, like in Vietnam is full of herbs and different types of herbs that you cannot even remember all the name at once. So you have to go and come back and test again. And one chef cooking, the other one cooking to make sure we are very, very close to the taste. That's the time that me, I can, I can start doing my own, right? So I understand how they do their own, I understand their taste, and I want to bring them my twist. That sounds like a really fun part of the job. That's the <laughs> that, best one. That research actually. stage when you get somewhere new. What, what about Korea? Because I know you you opened up the the Sofitel in Seoul a couple of years ago and, right. and opened up the restaurants there. Like, what was that food culture like? And and what was that like opening up that hotel, the Sofitel Ambassador? Oh, Korea was wow. Was a big big new world for me because I've been to South of Asia, right? So I was Vietnam, Singapore, Philippines. I would say there is, there is many common points from one to another one. You will find, you know, it's really on the citrus, on the herbs. Is, there is they're very different cuisine, but still have something that you can catch from one to another one. They're a little bit complementing. But Korea was a total different world. I think it's all about the, the fermentation, the sweet, the spicy, those tastes very, very strong, actually, that we don't even used to that in, in Europe. There is nothing, nothing, nothing compared. Okay, so clearly you go and you learn a little bit, you, a lot about the, the local cuisine, but then also, you know, with a, a Sofitel hotel, being French, you have a, you know, a flagship French restaurant there. Like, if that's in Seoul or if that's in Vietnam or wherever it is, like, how do you do that? How, how do you create something French- but that also reflects the, the place where you are. So you have to understand first what locally you can find and understand a bit more about the cooking techniques. The taste, it's really different, right? I, I cannot match French and Korean taste at the same time, but I can use same ingredients. I can use same technique. Korean people are very much into beef, right? They have a beautiful uh, quality of beef over there and they love short ribs. That's the Korean cut. You have short ribs everywhere. Many, many different recipes. You have the, the LA Galbi, the Galbi Jim, you have many things. And Galbi Jim, actually, it's a short ribs that they braise long time with the soya sauce inside, this nice bacon radish. I mean, and they, so they braise it for a long time. They marinate it the day before. They braise it long time. And then they reduce the sauce and they serve like a stew. So it was pretty much looked like a bourguignon, basically, without the wine. Not same in same ingredients, like no carrot, different vegetables, right? No wine, but the same beef and the same cooking technique. They're also Korean. They really look at what you are doing. You know, they want to learn the, the authentic bourguignon. And I want to learn the authentic galbi gym. So we look at each <laughs> other and see, we have many, many things in common. So we finally twist because we, we, we need it. Actually, when you open the, the, the subtitle in Seoul, we really need it to adapt. So we switch this galbi gym which is their Korean bourguignon, into the French bourguignon using their product, using their cooking technique. And at the end, it was a joke in the team as well that when we are, we are, we are cooking Galbi Jim, the original one, they always call me, oh, chef, Korean, uh, Korean bourguignon today. Interesting. <laughs> Korean bourguignon. <laughs> so, okay, so with your now you have a new role. You've worked as a chef at a number of Accor hotels, Sofitel in, in Seoul and others. In your new role, you're leading the chefs for the Sofitel and, and M Gallery hotels all over the world. I know you guys have a bunch of stuff opening up, which I want to get to later. But how does that translate? And like, how does your perspective of working all over the place help you? I mean, I think you, you, you talked a little bit about the understanding the different cultures and how they operate. Like with this new role, like tell us a little bit about it. And then also like, how does that global perspective help? 
I think the, the, the first point, first on, the, on this new role, it's very new. It's very new uh, to Sofitel and uh, M Gallery and even to Accor, actually. It's the first time that Accor is creating a dedicated F&B structure to really develop the F&B scene for the hotel. And why? Because we really want to put the F&B in the heart of the experience of the hotel. It's not anymore just an hotel and a hotel restaurant. We really want to create a new experience which in the hotel, which is the most important. And that's why, that's why we are here with the team. How I see my role today, I think, as you said, you know, I'm a, or as I say, I'm not sure, I'm a French with a twist, right? So I'm a French with something. So that's why covering the world now, and that's why also we are, like, a, like a Sofitel, I have this link, right? The link is made for French art de vivre and local culture connecting together. And that's, I think, exactly what I am today. I'm French, yes, on the base, definitely, on the ground, I'm French. But on the top, I might be a bit more uh, international than French, actually. So yep. what I'm looking at is really at first create a very strong uh, chef community because we are split everywhere in the world, right? So we all really have all to connect and make sure we are, we are, we are kind of uh, speaking the same language, right? We all have the same direction and we are all connected together. We can feel that we are part of a team again, you know, that's a big family, actually. So this is one of my main, my main uh, mission, I will say, at the, at the Sofitel and M Gallery. And then as well is bring my, my French twist to help and support the chef, because we might have, we have some chefs from everywhere, right, in different countries. So I can bring my French touch over there. And then when I go to a country where we already have French people in, in place, then I can bring my international twist. So it's balancing between the two, actually. I want to talk to you about a few of the, uh, you have some very interesting destinations opening up. I was, I was looking at a list. It, it sounds very cool. Talk to me a little bit about your, your travel for vacation. So, you know, you, we, you, you've worked all over the place, but obviously, hopefully you've had a little time to, you know, explore on your own with your husband and, and have some fun. But let's go to start with Asia. Like what were some of the places that, that you just loved in Asia? Like what's a place that just surprised you and you fell in love with? It's Mongolia. We've been uh, trekking in Mongolia for almost two months, and it was like one of the best travel I never had, to be honest, because it was like uh, back in the Stone Age, quoi. It was back in country where everyone is focused on the on the essential, on the basics, right? There is no no entertainment, there is nothing around, right? The only, and and being like this uh, uh, trekking is really about okay. Today I'm gonna have to point A to point B, right? And today I'm gonna make sure I have enough water, I have enough food. And tonight I'm safe, you know, camping in my tent somewhere, not to be frozen overnight, right? <laughs> the, the food scene was not so wow, impressive, to be honest. Right. But it was very interesting to see with the same ingredients because everywhere, because we are there at the, at the springtime. With springtime over there is, is not yet really the summertime. So you can have the four season in one day. You can be in the morning, like a little bit refreshing in the river. And at night it's snowing like a, a full winter. <laughs> so you never know what's going to happen in Mongolia. The weather can change like this. And this, those ladies, the basic one they have is always carrot, potato and flour. But with this, we never had the same meal. We always had wow. a, and, and a little bit of fat. They like uh, the you know the lamb fat or, or the camel fat, one of those fat. So there is no meat; it's just the fat a little bit. They are selling the meat most of the time, but they are they cooking basically with four ingredients. But we never had the same meal for the first the, the two months over there. And they are wow. so much into hospitality. There is a, there is a, a rule that you don't lock the door when you go to someone's house. You just open the door because the hospitality is kind of mandatory. So you can open any house. You will always be welcome somewhere. Wow. 
What are you are you trekking by foot? Or do you have horse yes. like are camels carrying your no, stuff? Like what, how does that trip work? We, we, my husband, okay, my husband is very good in orientation. I'm very bad, even though in the office I can lose my I can lose myself. But him is very good, and we didn't have we have it was like same like uh, twelve years ago. So we bought a small GPS satellite one, a small one, and then we we found the very old mapping from the the, the map from the the Russian guy that they left after they left Mongolia, actually. And then we just go, like, very old school, from this point to this point. Okay, that's where we are. Boom. Wow. We take the We take the point. And we and we just walk like this for two months. Honestly, are you going to write a book about it? It sounds like an amazing <laughs> experience. I think we could do a whole podcast just on that one trip right there. That's incredible. No, no, it was incredible. Honestly, it was very incredible. And we could not communicate with people. Nothing, right? No, no one speak English. And it was just about gesture and, and eye contact. And we've been spending like nights all together eating and we've been carrying this lamb. They, they, they just killed the lamb when before we arrived. So everything was hanging everywhere. And the following market, we've been with them the following day, sorry. Been to the market with them, sailing over there. And then they share the little piece of the intestine together. You know, my husband, he was very uh, shocked by the cooking style over there. <laughs> but it was very fun. Yeah, that's a grand adventure. And, you know, you bring up an interesting point too with the language and the only way to communicate with these people. I think, especially as a native English speaker, we get very lazy now. We just kind of expect people to speak English everywhere we go. You know, I was just in Thailand and Japan. And it's actually refreshing when you can't communicate with someone now, I think. And it, it forces you to go to a more base level. So I think that is an important experience to have, which is fewer and further between for, for people who speak English now. But what about like, if you're, if you want, if you're going to go back to Asia and you just want to go on a vacation, not an, a grand adventure like that, but like, you just want to go on a great vacation. Where are you going? Japan, definitely. Japan for same, for everything, for the culture, for the food, everything they're doing so detailed, you know, anything you find in, in, in Japan is Push to the perfection. Everyone is taking his job so seriously. Even though you just go to the supermarket and someone is uh, you, you're asking for something and it will not understand, they will try to help you until they find what you're looking for. And even if they have to move and, and go back and ask someone else, any job, it's the perfection. And when you see in cooking, in culinary scene, it's it's very, very, very impressive that people they can spend their life or they can spend half of their life just learning how to cut properly the vegetables to make the tempura. But they're not allowed to fry. They're just allowed to cut the veggie. And the master is going to fry. We are so impatient in France. It's impossible <laughs> you're going to teach someone to, to, to stay with me for like 10 years just to show how to cut vegetables every day. And then finally, after 10 years, I will let you fry the tempura, you know? It's funny. I just, I, I flew through Osaka on the way to Thailand and through Tokyo on the way back and I had long lovers, layovers in each and I made sure to like, I caught a train, got into town, had some food and came back and got my, my next flight. But it was just like, I had to, I had to go in there and, and experience that. So yeah, it's, it is incredible. It's incredible. After, if I have to go on vacation, more like relaxing and I love the, the atmosphere of the place, the landscape, the people, the food, same. I think it's Bali. I love Bali. I think I've been there the first time like 20 years ago. It was same. It was one of my first travel in Asia when I was still back uh, back in France. It was my first travel in Asia. Oh, the flavor! The flavor is just amazing. The flavor is everything you don't know. It's all discovery every day. It's all the same. The herbs, all the citrus that they have. Wow, it's it's really amazing. The way they're cooking as well. The rice, the, all the sticky rice as well. It's amazing. The food is amazing. People are so nice. 
Very, very nice. Like very smiling all the time. Hospitality in the blood. They know what is hosting people. They have beautiful place. Like very, you feel like very high luxury place. So, okay. So outside of, of Asia, where, where are some of the places you like to go? Just, you know, for food or for fun or whatever it is. Ah, I think for food and for fun, I love big cities, right? So New York for me, I mean, I love big cities. I have these double things, you know, like a double personality. I love big cities, but I've been spending so much, uh, so much here on the island as well. So I'm also an island girl, definitely. I love to be on the beach. And you trek for two months through Mongolia too. So you, yeah. you, can, you can do it all, I think. I can adapt, I can adapt. But right now, um, I love New York. I love New York. I think New York, it's, you feel that everything can happen there, right? It's opening place every day. Grocery, all about food, I mean. You find a new restaurant every day. You find new grocery every day. If I go for fun and fun, I mean, bar, mixologist, all the speakeasy bar, the club. Yeah. New York is the place, really. I love it. Well, now it's going to be a lot easier for you to visit New York now that you're, you've moved to Paris. Not, you're, you're no longer in Asia. Yes. Okay, so you're back in your home country. I know you're from Bordeaux, not from Paris. But what is it that excites you about being back there? Like, what are you excited to explore? You, I, I assume you haven't lived in France for a while now. So what, what, what are you excited to explore in your home country? As you said, I haven't been in France for a while, so I don't feel French anymore, really. So I'm exciting to understand what is freshness. The way that you are living first, because it seems to be very different than the way we used to live as well. When you are in Paris, like right now, it's a very different city. Everyone, when you are in Asia, saying, oh, Paris is like uh, living in a museum and you're just walking around and you see and you don't realize it because you're French. You say, oh, yeah, it's nice. You don't really realize it. <laughs> but then when you arrive there, and I'm not from Paris, so I don't know anything about Paris, I really understand what people feel, what the tourists feel when they are coming here. You see, it's beautiful. And I'm so excited to, to discover again those very old-style brasserie, you know, the, the authentic French. When you go to those brasserie like La Coupole, you know, the, the building himself is from the 90s, somewhere, 1940 or 1920-something. They are here for like 100 years almost. And the food is there the same. You know, the first thing I eat when I arrive in Paris is the egg mayonnaise. It was really missing the perfect egg mayonnaise. You know, so I was searching, where is the best egg mayonnaise? <laughs> exactly. Same way you go about, you know, if you're in Vietnam or in Seoul or, or wherever, you come back to Paris and, and you have to go out and research and find the, the, the exactly. best version of egg mayonnaise. But I'm exciting to that. I'm exciting to really go back to the roots, you know, to really understand where I'm, where I'm from, actually. <laughs> Well, it sounds like a very exciting role that you have here. I want to actually ask you a question. I know that in this role, like sustainability, you're, you're very involved with that, you know, throughout your career. But, you know, one of the things I, I think that subject, sustainability, has been a big one in, in travel over the last several years and, and, and elsewhere. But one of the things we don't hear that much about, and at least I don't hear that much about, is the sustainability in restaurants and, and hotel restaurants, like how, how it plays out in the, the world of cuisine, right? Why is that important, A? Like, why is that something we should be paying attention to? And then also, like, what, what are you doing and what are your plans to improve that or to, to make that a priority? As a chef, I think we really have to be conscious because we are the one producing most of, most of the food waste in the world, which is crazy. Everything from a restaurant point of view, 30% of what we are producing go to food for the garbage. Sustainability, I think, is the first battle is food waste. You know, when you teach your kids, when you serve them at uh, at, at, at table, you ask them to finish the plate, no? You wanted to have this or you wanted to have more, then you have to finish your plate, right? 
So you have to educate as well your kids and you have to educate your chef and you have to educate your, your customer, actually, your traveler as well. The same way that you are educating your kids. You know, you're not going to throw the, 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 the food away. Mammy cook today for you, no? Do you go up to your, your guests in the restaurant and tell them they have to finish their plate? Like, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Not yet, but we should. <laughs> you yet, should. I think you should. I'll, yeah. You know, there is, there is a way as well to explain to people. It's not a question of saving costs. It's nothing to do with saving costs. It's just a question of being conscious of what we are doing. And chef, and same with the chef, when we are, we are preparing and trimming things. Oh, yeah, we, we want to have this thing perfect, you know, you know. We want to have this piece of beef braised perfectly rectangular, you know, so it's going to, on the plating side, it's going to be beautiful because I kind of line on the side the vegetables or whatever. But what about the rest of it? If you will be at home again, you will eat it, right? So why yeah. in the restaurant you're able to throw it away? So I think the chef, it's fine to have a perfect piece of meat, Square, right? As long as you're doing something with your trimming, as long yeah. as you're not throwing away, and you yeah. make sure that you reuse it, whatever you have different different recipe for for this one. This needs to be a full change mindset in the hotel and in the restaurant, actually, because it's it's wasting food, but it's wasting water as well. For example, buffet restaurant, right? In Asia, it's very very popular to have a buffet restaurant. In Europe, less, but in Asia, it's very important. People they like, you know, the quantity. They feel, you know, I paid and I want this value for money. But today, the value for money is not anymore in the quantity. The value for money is in the quality. And the chefs need to change in mindset and say, okay, yes, yeah, you didn't get your five kind or six kind of cheese, but you have only artisan cheese, locally made. You have only three kinds. And you can meet the guys as well because the local artisan is also coming here to explain you where is the, like two weeks, no, last week, actually, I was in Tamuda in Sofitel Tamuda in, in, uh, in Morocco. And in a breakfast, you have a guy standing there and they have different kind of cheese. They have the, the jben over there for breakfast. I don't know if you know, it's like a, a fresh cheese made out of uh, goat uh, milk, right? And it's the artisan coming here at the breakfast and explaining you, they have six or eight kind different uh, maturation and different seasoning. And the guy was, it's just like 20 kilometers from the hotel. That's a lot more appetizing than having, you know, a giant block. Yeah. One of the things in Asia is those buffets, especially the breakfast buffets. I mean, you're expected to have Chinese dishes. You're expected to have, you know, French dishes, American, you know, mm. breakfast style stuff. And then also whatever the local cuisine is, too. So you have to have all these different options for every type of traveler. And, and I'm sure there is a ton of waste that, that goes with that, so you you, talk, you threw it thirty percent as kind of how much waste goes in from restaurants to to landfill or whatever. Some of these things you're talking about, where okay, you're focusing on quality over quantity. You're you're composting food waste or, or exactly what? How much of a difference can you make? Like, what can you get that down to? There, you know, if it's thirty percent, like, what's your goal? So right now, the, the, the average, average uh, grams per cover, that's how, we, that's how we estimate right now that the average grams of food waste per cover, right, that we are throwing on average is about uh, 100 grams. We really want to reduce it by 30% by next year. So th that's per traveler, 100 grams? Yes, per traveler. Per tra I love it. You're tracking it at that level. That's, that's a, so 100 grams of food traveler per day, is that? Yeah, per cover. Per cover, per person who comes in. Okay. Yes. Okay. Per cover, roughly, is 100 grams of, of food waste. So we want to reduce that by 30%. Every time I go out to eat, I'm wasting 100 grams of, there's 100 grams of food maybe waste. Maybe more, you don't know, and maybe some <laughs> okay. less, you okay. know. But yeah, yeah, because we don't realize. That's fascinating. 
I, I mentioned it, but I think like that's not something a lot of people who are interested in sustainability and conserving the environment and climate change and whatnot, but like that's not an area that we think of very no. often. We think about our cars, we think about planes, we think it's interesting as well for the traveler to understand, you know, not only for us. It's not only food waste, but it's also like some travelers, because they are coming to a very high luxury hotel, it's December, it's Christmas, and they want to eat strawberry. And not understand that, you know, we don't have strawberry at the moment, you know. Wherever you are in France, even though you go to the, the, most of the, the bigger palace in France, no one's going to serve you strawberry in, in, in the winter time, right? So it's also educating, explaining why he cannot do it, actually, why I cannot source strawberry in, in the winter time. But in the winter time, I have a beautiful apple and I'm going to give you a full different variation of apple. Or, or, and this go to the chef creativity, right? You have to find another way. But the sourcing has to be locally. And you have to educate your, your, your traveler and your guests in the hotel, you know. Because you're also saving costs at the end. Instead of, of, of flying your, your beef from, uh, from Japan or from anywhere, wherever in the, the world, right? And you discover products that you might not have paid attention before. Because the easy way is just, oh, yeah, I love Black Angus. That's all. I love Black Angus. I'm going to order this one, you know. I think, okay, so we just learned as travelers, we need to finish our plates <laughs> when we go out to eat. <laughs> eat all our food. And... Don't expect strawberries in Paris and over Christmas time. Those are okay. No, it's important, but I, that is, right? Honestly, that is, that is a really cool understanding. It from your perspective is is educational for for me. It is something any way that we can make a difference is important, and and yeah. that sounds like a a good way to do it. What exciting projects do you have coming up? What new hotels, Self Hotel, M Gallery, whatever it is? Because I, I, I again I looked at at this list and there's like I saw. Benin on there and Nairobi and there's some really cool destinations coming up here. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, there is, there is about 120 hotels to come out uh, in, in a few next years, actually, in the coming years. And the next very uh, exciting one, I would say definitely uh, Nairobi in Kenya is going to be a beautiful one. It's an M Gallery opening by the end of the year, actually. We have different concepts, different F&B concepts inside. And one of the exciting ones is actually we're going to bring one of the most uh, trendy and, and, and funky Indian uh, concept, which is the Bombay Canteen. It, and it's going to be the first one in Kenya. The first high-end, I will say, and, and funky Indian, Indian concept over there. So this one is really to look after. We have as well the Sofitel in Cotonou in Beni. It's a beautiful, it's a very beautiful property on the beach. Very nice. And we are bringing there the first... Benin lady chef, Michelin star. So she's in France right now. She got the Michelin star last year in France. Oh, wow. what's her name? Georgiana View. West Africa is a part of the world that I haven't explored at all. And I'm, I really, really want to go. Maybe, maybe that's my excuse is to go eat. Actually, at, uh, yeah, at I, haven't, I haven't too yet, but I, I have the same feeling as you. I can see all those projects coming out and I'm very, very exciting, actually. You've got some fun work trips ahead of you, it sounds like. Yes. Okay. Benin, Nairobi. What else are you excited about? Is we have a M Gallery coming in uh, in Sapporo very soon. So well, Japan, we talk about it. So we are all very excited about Japan. We have Riyadh as well. This one I cannot tell you yet who is going to be there as the as the chef uh, consultant, but we're going to bring a, bring a big name over there. So we are very excited about Riyadh as well. You know, it's we opened recently uh, Barcelona. When you have this restaurant called Ten Diez where they bring the, the, the Michelin star chef over there. The name is David Andres. It's a beautiful tapas restaurant with a French twist. 
And he, the, the, the chef has a two Michelin star, actually. So it's well, world-class restaurant over there. If you pass by Barcelona, definitely you, you have to stop at the Sofitel over there. And then we opened also recently in Italy, uh, M Gallery, working as well with uh, Emmanuel Scarlier in Sardinia. We also have one Michelin star for the restaurant called Terra. And the cuisine, the Italian cuisine over there is just really amazing. It's the next stop for the vacation if you pass by Europe. Okay, and and Panama too, another another kind of rising spot right now. I know you guys just opened a city hotel there in in Casco Viejo, and in, in the heart of the city. It that looked. I was actually supposed to go there in January, and I had to cancel the trip unfortunately. But I will reschedule. I'm I'm oh, really excited yes. about that. I've heard great things about it. It's a Sofitel legend, right? So Sofitel legend. We have six in the world right now. It's a Sofitel who have have to be in a historical building, right? So they all have a big story behind that. So Casco Biero, it's a UNESCO building. It's a beautiful building. Casco Biero, you know, in Panama, you have Panama City and you have Casco Biero, right? So Casco Biero is very the authentic, the original city of Panama. Yep. And it's a beautiful luxury hotel, definitely very luxury hotel, but as well, very connected to the local culture. You have to adapt with the building. You have to make it as high luxury with the existing one. And that's what brings a lot of charm to the property. Well, you're going to have to get down there and put to use that uh, Spanish you learned in the in the kitchens of New York. So one question I like to ask every chef is, is there one meal that you've had in the past year? Or so? It doesn't have to be exactly a year, but like one meal that just stands out as a life-changing experience. <laughs> I think Korea was almost a daily life-changing, you know, whatever <laughs> you're testing over there when you and it's so large. And I think one of the the most surprising and really, wow, changed the life experience, definitely. It was this, you know, there is a season, which was actually the springtime, where they eat. So that's what I love also in Korea. And it's the same in Japan. They really follow the season. And it's the same in France, actually. We are just not used anymore to that in, in South of Asia because uh, there is no season, right? But in, in the springtime in Korea is the, the season for the octopus and for the baby octopus. And I don't know if you've ever seen that, but they are eating live baby octopus. Oh, <laughs> so they actually fish them because you know they, everything is in the tank. So you go to the seafood market, they fish it, and then they chop chop. So they call it chop chop because they chop chop with the knife. Tuck, tuck. So it's still moving, <laughs> really moving. And then they put a little bit of the the, the 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 chili, the chili paste that they have fermented over there, a little bit of sesame, and you go for that right away. And at first, I, it took me like uh, one and a half years. I was always saying, no, 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 I cannot do that. I mean, I'm not sure. I'm not sure I really have to do that. You know, the experience is... Uh, there's know, there's certain strong. things you don't have to do. Yet. Yeah, you know, the, all the insect, <laughs> those things right now, I'm not so, so kind of it. So I just feel it's an experience, but not really a taste experience, right? So the, the octopus, I was always trying to push it back. But my, my number two, it was very insisting. And, and I left in, in June, right? So it was insisting. It's the last season. It's your last chance, you know? You should go for it because it's very delicious. It's a little bit weird the way it looks, but it's very delicious. So finally, we made it. We've been to the market and we had it. And actually, it was great. Actually, it was great. The texture, I was not expecting that. I thought I'm going to have something like very, very chewy, like a mm, for a while, you know, that you have to, 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 to mash it for a while. And actually, no, it's very much into the sea taste, you know, like very salty with a little bit of fermented chili behind. And I have to say that, 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 that it's a bit weird, you know, you have this feeling of something moving and oh, finally, you get it, you know. <laughs> So the, the texture, the test, it was 
one time's life experience, honestly. <laughs> one time. I'm not going to do it again. That, wow. No, well, I will it took do a year it again. and a half of courage to build up. I think that's about right. Yeah. <laughs> well, that sounds like a life-changing experience for sure. Yes. And Cecile, this has been such a pleasure talking to you about all this stuff. I mean, so many things we covered here. I, I love speaking with you. Thank you so much for joining Thank us. Thank you, Bruce. Thank you very much for your time today. It was great. Really. And now for the Wallen Wrap-Up. What a pleasure speaking with Anne Cecile Dejean today. I love how she can go like from the height of French cuisine and, you know, ultra luxury properties and then, you know, trekking through Mongolia for a couple months at a time with her husband with no guides, just kind of going as they go. Such a great kind of travel spirit there that, that I really identify with. We mentioned Panama and I said that I was supposed to be going down there and, and had to cancel that trip, but I'm trying to reschedule that because there is a lot of exciting things happening in Panama, including, as discussed, the the new Sofitel legend in Casco Viejo, which is you know the old town of Panama City. There's great stuff on the Pacific coast that's very accessible from there. Great stuff on the Caribbean coast down in Bocas del Toro, where I went many, many years ago. So I'm excited to get down there and get it's it's one of those countries where you can really have a fantastic city and jungle kind of rainforest wildlife experience and then beach, but not just one beach. You can hop from the Pacific to the Caribbean. As easy there as anywhere in the world, actually, given the slenderness of that country and the fact that they built the Panama Canal there. So Panama's on the list. The last time I was there was many, many years ago as a backpacker. So, you know, traveling much like uh, I think Anne Cecile did through Mongolia. So thank you, Anne Cecile, for the inspiration. And on to the next great adventure. We'd like to thank Accor and Anne-Cécile Dejean for today's episode of Travel That Matters. For more information on some of the properties and subjects that we talked about today, please visit kurtcomedia.com backslash travel that matters. Travel That Matters is produced and edited for Kurtco Media by AJ Mosley. Marketing by Katrin Skipertis. Music by Joey Salvia and hosted by me, Bruce Wallen. And we will see you down the road.